Some of you have read the book of Acts. It's a New Testament book. It's a long book. It, it actually is 28 chapters, and uh, it talks about how the gospel goes out to the world and churches are formed. Churches like Hope Church are formed through the proclamation of the gospel. The disciples take the gospel. Peter and Paul are primary uh, characters in the book of Acts, and they take the gospel to the world. And uh, interestingly enough, the, the gospel goes global, okay? And so we have the church, and we're going to talk about it because it has, it's going to um, push back on some ideas we have about the church that are really kind of not helpful, and we want to look at that. But I want to challenge you that if you've never read through the book of Acts, or if you have, I want to challenge you to go to um, ehope.org forward slash Acts. That'll take you to a reading plan. And in 28 days, because there's 28 chapters, you could read through the whole book of Acts. I would encourage you to do that maybe on a regular basis. So in about a month, you'll be able to read through the book of Acts. It's got everything. It's got shipwrecks, it's got jails, it's got demons. I mean, it's got everything. It's, it's really action-packed. Uh, you'll, you'll find something in every chapter. It just kind of moves right along. So I want to encourage you to do that. But for right now, this morning, we're just going to read and go through Acts chapter 1, the first 11 verses, um, and we'll see kind of what that has for us. So if you would, turn to Acts 1, starting at verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, uh, I wrote to you about Je what Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After suffering, he presented himself to them and gave, them, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Now notice this. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my fa father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But, and this is a key verse, you might want to underline this uh, on your app or in your, on your Bible. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. All right. Now let's just talk and let's just lay some groundwork for what's happening here in the book of Acts. Acts is a continuation of the book of Luke. The gospel of Luke was penned by Luke, and Acts is the second volume. 
And so Luke is continuing the story, and you kind of see that connection in the first couple verses, that basically he refers back to what he wrote prior, which would have been his gospel, and now we're seeing the book of Acts, okay? So that's the first thing. Second thing is, Acts is going to include much of the New Testament world, where the gospels were really focused on Palestine, and basically you have you have Galilee in the north, and you have Samaria, and then you have in the south uh, 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 Judea, uh, the, those regions, okay? Now, in the book of Acts, you're going to see Rome, you're going to see you know, Asia Minor, you're going to see all these different areas. So the gospel is, the map is going to get huge, you know, through as we see this. And you see that, in the verse I pointed out, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, it's interesting how the spread of the church came. Many of the Christians had, get, and we're going to see this in a couple weeks, they're going to gather together on Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost. And all the, all, all the Jews are going to gather together, and they're going to, the disciples are going to speak in tongues, and um, they're going to gather together, and there's going to be this great uh, 2,000 people are going to come to Christ. And then they hang around. They hang around Jerusalem. And they're, they're sharing their goods, they're spending time together, they're, they're living together, they're doing life together. And uh, then the next thing that happens is their persecution comes to the church. And it's the persecution that causes the church to leave Jerusalem and go to the world. They go back to their homelands. Now, why were they in Jerusalem? Because they thought the Lord, after the ascension, by the way, the, the church puts the ascension of Jesus, you know, they have the Holy Day calendar, uh, it was on Thursday. The ascension was, that, so that was ascension Thursday in case you weren't aware of it, which is what we're talking about right now. And so they thought Jesus was going to come back very shortly, but then persecution happened. So they went back to their homeland. So now the gospel is going through them back to their lands, uh, all in their different cities, and you'll see that. Um, but it came through persecution. It came through persecution. So the book of Acts covers 30 years. It covers 32 countries, 54 cities, nine islands, and thousands of miles of very difficult travel. You know, you think you had a hard travel when you went 15 hours in a car? Okay. You know, they kind of would look at you and go, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, sure. You know, <laughs> kind of a little different, right? Here's another thing. Acts is foundational to many New Testament letters. Some of you uh, have had these, or you wouldn't remember it if you were a baby, I hope. If you did, then you must have been a genius. But we have these little mobiles that we put over the crib, right? And they have the little, the donkey and the duck and the little animals, and they play some song that you get sick of after about five seconds, but it just keeps playing and playing and playing. But the baby's looking at it, just watching it go around. We call it a mobile, right? And so Acts is like the superstructure for the mobile, because what we find is we're going to have all these churches that we read about in our New Testament. So Paul, on his missionary journeys, he plants churches, and we see these churches popping up. So you have, you have places like Corinth, you've heard of the book of Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians. That's because Paul visited Corinth in the book of Acts. You have book, you know, cities like Ephesus, we have the book of Ephesians. Philippi, the book of Philippians. Colossians, the book of Colossae. Uh, uh, Colossae. Uh, Thessalonica, 
First and Second Thessalonians. That's where Paul, these are all cities that Paul visited through Asia Minor, and and so it's kind of like. And then finally Rome. You know the you know Romans. Well, that was Paul was in Romans when he in Rome when he wrote wrote, wrote Romans, and so you see. That, that all of this is like the superstructure is holding, and, and all these books kind of come. So if you read like Ephesians, there's a missionary journey where Paul is, is in the city of Ephesus. And you could read about that, and that's where this all began. And so the letters that he's writing is during this historic period where he's visiting the city of Ephesus. And you can read about that in the book of Acts. Okay? Uh, another thing. Acts shows us the pouring out and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Notice, uh, there was a time when, remember John the Baptist, even before Jesus began, because John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. And John the Baptist says, they say, well, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? He goes, no, I'm not. And then he says this, it's very interesting. He says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. He's talking about Jesus now. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And then notice what he says. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now remember that. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now when we were reading the book, we just read this passage in Acts. What did he say? Jesus said that the Spirit of God is going to come and he's going to baptize. You know, he's going to bat- you're going to be baptized. He says, wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? This is the fulfillment of John's prediction before Jesus came, all right? So, so when what we just read is a fulfillment of what John was predicting would happen. But let's, let, we're going to talk about these, this, this tongues of fire in a minute. Okay, so Acts, and this is, the, this is one of those concepts that's going to really, I hope it messes you up good, really, because we have these ideas that really aren't helpful. And we pick them up, and we've just assumed they're right and good, and they're not. And the first one is, Acts radically transforms the concept of God's temple. Now, when you think of the Old Testament, the first time that we see God dwelling with people is in the garden, right? It's Adam and Eve in the garden. And then Adam and Eve sin, they're kicked out of the garden, and then what happens? There's there's angels that are guarding the garden, right? And they can't get it back in. The next time that you see the presence of God dwelling with his people is when the children of Israel are in the wilderness, and they're camping, and they have this, this little tent, this tent called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle's in the middle of the camp, so the, and all the tribes, the 12 tribes, they, the, the tribes would be gathered outside uh, you know, the camp would be uh, at this, you know, in kind of a circular and, and the tabernacle would be in the middle. And so the idea was that when you came out of your tent, your tent faced toward, towards the middle, towards the tabernacle, you'd come out of your tent and you'd see the presence, the, the tabernacle of God in the middle of you. That was the first. And so the tabernacle led the people of Israel for 40 years, right? 40 is going to be an important number. Now, under the rule of David, it really wasn't David who accomplished this, but he cried out to God building a temple. Instead of having the tabernacle, he says, you need a house. And so he gathers all the materials together. It was under Solomon that built, who built the temple. So Solomon builds this grandiose temple, and the fire of God comes down, and now the temple is where God dwells with his people. 
in, in, in the land, he's in the temple, okay? So God is now in the temple. And then uh, we come to the New Testament and we see Jesus and his disciples and they're around the temple, right? And they're going to the temple. He's teaching the temple courts and all that stuff. And Jesus is one day, this temple is going to be destroyed. And we know AD 70, Herod came in and destroyed the temple, right? Now, here's the interesting thing. The interesting thing is we have this temple. And remember I said to remember fire? So when you see fire, it's very interesting. You go, you go back to the burning bush and Moses, right? Moses is out in the wilderness. By the way, he's being trained by God for 40 years. Remember 40? And he sees this bush. It's on fire. And all of a sudden, he says, it's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And he walks up to it, and God says, back off. This is holy ground. Take off your sandals, right? Now, some of you are going, where are you going with this? What I'm trying to show you is the Old Testament and the New Testament connection that's going on right now in the book of Acts. And I want you to see a really important principle that is taught in the Scripture, but we miss it. So we have the fire right at the bush. Where do we see the fire next? Well, we see the fire in the tabernacle. We see a cl- there is a pillar of fire leading the people of Israel and the nation, right? When the temple is dedicated, fire in the temple. When Moses is on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, there's fire on the mountain, right? Fire, fire, fire. What does fire mean? It's the presence of God, the very presence of God, okay? So we come to the book of Acts, and you remember where the disciples begin to speak in tongues, and the people describe it, and they say, there's like little, what, tongues of what? Fire above them, coming down on them. What is going on there? The presence of God is no longer dwelling in a temple. It dwells within us. We are the temple. Do you see the transition there? That God no longer dwells in a place, in a building. He doesn't dwell in a tabernacle. He doesn't dwell in a temple. You don't have to go to some holy place. God dwells in believers, in you. You are the temple of God. And this is such a radical transformation. This is visibly going to be demonstrated. You're going to see it in the next couple weeks. You're going to see the tongues of fire coming down because God no longer dwells somewhere that you have to go. God dwells in you. You are the temple of God. Now, this has implications. And one of the candidates for the mayor brought this out last week. Um, Andrew Yang, who is running for uh, mayor of New York City, was in uh, a church and he was on a campaign uh, for, uh, he was running for office. And in the midst of his speech, he swore in church. For some of you, you're going, oh, that's not a good thing to do. Some of you are going to, well, why is he a political candidate in a church giving a political speech? All right, don't go there, okay? But let's just talk about this. He swore in church, and there were a lot of comments. Don't you understand how wrong it was? That was sacrilegious for you to do that. How could you do that? How could you swear in that holy place? And some of you think this place that you're in right now is holier than your home or your workplace or your school 
or your playground or your gym or your bedroom. But here's the thing. The Spirit of God goes with you. You are the temple. So if Andrew Chang, Yang, excuse me, if Andrew Yang shouldn't have sworn in church, should Christians swear at all? And yet I read stuff on Facebook and I see Christians just using foul language. And I'm going, wait a minute. Would they do that in this building? No, they wouldn't. Why? Because they don't understand what's happening in the book of Acts. We are the church, folks. Where you go, the church goes. This presence of God goes. You are the temple. (laughs) That'll wreck your day right? (laughs) Yeah, God is watching. Yeah, God is in you. Jesus says, I'm not going to give you another comforter who will be with you. I'm going to give you one who will be within you. You are that temple. Where you go, he goes. The good news is you don't have to go to be with God. He's with you. The bad news is he goes with you. Yeah, I told you it would wreck your day, but this is what the New Testament teaches. And it's a joyous thing because you don't have to go to the temple. You don't have to bring sacrifices. The sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice came. That's communion. Jesus came, and now the Spirit of God dwells in you. You hold the fire of God. The other thing about the church is so, it's a church without walls. There are no walls. People are joining us online. They may be live. They may be after the fact. But that's what the church is. The church is a movement. It's to all nations, all peoples, all groups. It doesn't matter what language you speak, what you look like, whether you're male or female, whether you're young or old, whether you're educated or uneducated. You're part of the church. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're included. Now, this is going to be a problem for the church. They don't get this. In fact, we have to go all the way to Acts chapter 15 before they realize, hey, I guess the Gentiles are in like us. Good thing, because I think I'm talking to mostly Gentiles this weekend. (laughs) The church is without walls. It's everywhere. It includes everyone who bows to King Jesus. One other uh, point I want to make. Acts points us to many witnesses. The 40 days is really significant. We already talked about how Moses spent 40 years, and it was a time of training in the desert. Uh, uh, Jesus was 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness to be tested. So this is a time of testing or a time of training. So now we read in the book of Acts that Jesus appeared for 40 days to many witnesses. Did you remember that? Did you know that? I mean, you, you, there's, a, there's a little verse in, in 1 Corinthians 15, like verse 4 or 5, somewhere around there, where he appears to, you know, the, it's the gospel in a nutshell. And it says he appears to and he appears to. And, well, here's, here's where he appears. Moses, uh, he, Moses, 40 years, Jesus, 40 days. Uh, and there's 40 is that time of testing. We have 10 different, and by the way, there were more than the recorded ones we have. We have 10 different times during the 40 days where Jesus appeared to different people at different times. Um, He appeared to the woman at the tomb. He appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He appeared to Peter in Jerusalem. 
He appeared to the ten disciples minus Thomas. Remember that? So he appears and they said, hey, we saw the Lord. And he, Thomas goes, well, I ain't going to believe him unless I put my hand in his side and touch his hand. And Jesus, and so then, then Jesus appears the next time and Thomas is there. And he goes, my Lord and my God, <laughs> you know. And then um, fishing in Galilee, the 11 disciples in Galilee, the 500 at one time. And then James, he appeared to James, his brother, and, who wrote an epistle. So you have all these appearances. And these are only the ones that are mentioned. There were probably others. For 40 days, Jesus walked around after the resurrection and before his ascension. To many witnesses. They weren't all delusional. All right, so let me just uh, pull together what I want to talk about from this passage. There's two commands that are given in this passage. First command is this. Wait. Stay here. <laughs> Jesus says, don't go anywhere. Stay here because you need the Holy Spirit. And, and the idea there is that we need to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Some of you are go, go, go. You want to go and you want to, you, you don't want to lay plans out. You just, you're just a go person. Let's get it done. And you're more likely to run ahead of the Lord, right? You, 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 you're not good about waiting on the Lord. You want to run ahead of the Lord. You want to do it on your own power and your own strength. Here's the thing. The disciples were told to wait for the Holy Spirit. Because if they tried to go on their own power, it would have been a massive, epic failure. And Jesus says, no, wait, you need help. You see, we have to walk in step with the Spirit. And that means that we don't go ahead, we don't walk, lag behind, but we keep in step with the Spirit. The local church needs, certainly needs organizational structure. We need leadership. We need gifts. We need to be on a mission. But the thing that the, Holy, that, 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 that the local church needs more than anything else is God's Spirit dwelling in God's people. We need the power and the presence of God's Spirit within us. That's what makes us the church. And we need that. Because you've all been to churches that are powerless, they're, they're purposeless, they're spiritless, and they're lifeless. They're playing church, they're going through the motions, but they have nothing. But when the, when the Spirit of God shows up in his church, in his local assembly, and by the way, it's not necessarily here on the weekend, it's all week long, because we are little temples, we are little churches, we are the dwelling place of God. When the church is unleashed, when the walls, we leave these walls and we go out into our community, and we are energized and empowered by the Spirit of God, transformation will take place in the lives of the people around us. You see it in the early church. What were they doing in the early church? They were, they were around the word of God. They studied the word of God. They worshiped God. They, they broke bread. They, they shared their resources with, with the poor, with the hurting, with the marginalized. They shared the good news of the gospel with their neighbors. They made a difference in the world around them. They were unleashed. They were untethered. They were, they were, they were sent out. But they needed the Spirit first before they could go out. If we go out in our own power, we go out powerless. We're not to run ahead, of the, run ahead or fall behind. 
but keep in step with the Spirit. Walking in step with the Spirit means we individually and collectively seek His guidance and help as we, we want and we seek to serve Him. So that's the first command. The first command is wait. The second command is go. <laughs> no, it's interesting because here's the disciples. They have the Spirit of God. Not, you know, they, 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 the promise of the Spirit is coming. And, and they're, watching, they're watching the ascension. And, you know, I'd sit there and watch that. That must have been a pretty cool thing. You know, watch it. Hey, there he goes. You know? and, and these two witnesses come and they go, hey, uh, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're watching. No. Get going. Go. There's a time to watch and there's a time to go, right? There's a time to wait and there's time to go. We must faithfully proclaim the gospel. And it's interesting to me, God never sent, God could have, but he didn't call angels to proclaim the gospel. Have you noticed that? Now, when Jesus was born, God sent angels to tell the shepherds, hey, go to Bethlehem. That's where the Savior is born. They were the messengers, right? But God doesn't send angels to, take, to proclaim the gospel. Why? Because angels can't talk about how they were lost and now they're found. They can't talk about how they were, they were born down by the guilt of their sin and how they've been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. They can't talk about how God rescued them when no one else, when they had no other hope. They can't talk about how they have a, a hope for eternity. They can't talk about how their life has turned around. They can't talk about how, all those different things, they, because angels don't experience what we experience. There are some people in your sphere of influence, and by your sphere of influence, I mean it's your family, it's your friends, it's your coworkers, it's the people you go to school with, it's your colleagues, it's your neighbors. It's, it's sometimes just strangers that kind of God brings along for a moment. I use this phrase, uh, and I try to, hopefully it'll drip, drip out and you'll hear it, that every, every day and every week God has, you know how you look at your calendar and you say, okay, what's happening this week? What appointments do I have? What things do I have going on? What classes do I have? What projects do I have? What things do I need to work on? And I always say, God, help me to be aware of the divine appointments that you have for me this week. There are people there. Help me to be aware of it because if I'm always looking out for my own needs, if I'm always kind of focused on going, 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 and I'm not willing to, you know, and I'm not willing to, to see what the Spirit is calling me or leading me to do, I'm missing some divine appointments that God has for me. I don't want to miss those. Have you missed an appointment, an important one, and you're like an hour or two past it? You go, oh, no. <laughs> Too late. I wonder how many divine appointments we miss. We don't even know we missed them. That's why God doesn't use an angel. God uses us because, because we have a message. We ha there, is, there are people that we could speak to. There are people that you, you could speak to that I can't. They'll listen. That, that you're going through something or you've been through something and you share with them because they're going through it now. You have, a, you have their ear. And, and that's why God uses humans and not angels. The gospel has been entrusted to us and we're to be as witnesses. We're to take the gospel to our people, our sphere of influence. And, and what we're going to see is as the, as, the, very interesting, as the disciples begin to take the gospel to the world, you know what happens? Nobody throws them a party. They throw them in jail. They beat them up. 
They abused them. <laughs> so, so nobody's going to give you a pat on the back, probably. Because the gospel is a spiritual battle. The powers of light against the powers of darkness. The, God, the book of Acts, though, teaches us the gospel, and this is the other thing that we have to understand. You're the church. You're the temple. That's number one. Number two, it ain't about you and Jesus. If you read the book of Acts, I know in America it's about you and Jesus. It's not about you and Jesus. It's about you being part of the community of faith. You're part of something bigger than yourself. You're part of a church. You're part of a, a community. That's what you'll see. The gospel is, is calling you to a new community, a, a mission, where you join the Holy Spirit and take the gospel to all people groups, all nations. We have a life transformational message that the world desperately, more than ever before, needs to hear. And they need to hear it through your actions and through your words. Use both. I hate that saying is, that saying that goes, um, tell people about Jesus and if necessary, use words. No. Use words. And use actions. It's not one or the other, it's both and. And you need to know when to use them and all that stuff. But here's the thing. It's not about you and Jesus. I know that's comfortable. And I know that's selfish and it, it's, it's the American way. But it's about you being part of something bigger than yourself. You're part of a community. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you belong to his new community. So are you connecting to his community? The church isn't a place you go to. It's part of who you are as a Christian being part of a community. These are two things that we're going to really push back on in this series because we have it so messed up in America. We think it's about me and Jesus, and we think church is about a place that we go on a certain hour on a weekend. Nothing could be further than the truth. You are the church, you are the temple, and you are part of the new community. And that's what we are called to be. Mature Christians understand those principles that go counterculture to our, dare I say it, our Christian communities. Because the vast majority of Christians believe that you go to church on, in a building, and then number two, that it's about Jesus and me. The book of Acts won't allow you to walk that way. That's a misunderstanding. And I hope I laid a little bit of groundwork to at least make you question that. I want to finish with one last thing. What's the gospel? They're taking the gospel to the world and churches are being planted. We have it in Ephesus and Corinth and, and Philippi and Thessalonica and Colossae. We have these churches. We have the church in Rome. And well, What is happening here? What is the gospel? The gospel isn't being nice to one another. It's not saying, okay, let's plant gardens and let's help the poor. And that. It, it can be part of it, but here's what the gospel is. It's bad news. The, the, the gospel is you're a sinner and you're lost and you need a savior. And I, was, I, I knew, nobody had to convince me I was a sinner. Nobody had to convince me that I was you know, not a good person necessarily. 
I mean, I was, I, I kind of, I think I was ahead of the curve, but, you know, not very much ahead of the curve, just like my school studies. But that being the case, um, I, I, that wasn't a hard thing for me to, to grasp that I was a sinner and I needed a savior. But here's the problem. You have to understand that you're a sinner, you're lost, and you're helpless to save yourself. This is where I messed up. I thought that I could live a good life, believe in God, one day hand God my resume and say, look, all that I've done for you, I believe in you, I've tried to serve you. I go to church every week in a certain building at a certain time. There's that American idea of Christianity. I've done it. I've checked all the boxes. This is pretty remarkable. And I expected God just to grab it and say, Wow. That is good attendance. That's fabulous. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. And I thought, well, and I'm better than most people, I think. You know that the majority of people think they're better than most people. No, it's not physically, it's not, it's not logically possible, but they still think that. Here's my point. I had to come to a place where I realized that I needed a Savior, and that's why Jesus came. I couldn't save myself, and I needed someone to save me. And that Jesus, by giving his life on a Roman cross, he gave his life so that I could live. He took my sins so that I could be forgiven. And the Bible says that when you call upon the Lord, you shall be saved. And I thought, it can't be that simple. Don't I have to go through the, like some ritual or something? But no, as we see in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, Peter tells him, summarize the sermon. Acts chapter 2, Peter's sermon. Good news. The Messiah's come. Yay! Bad news. You crucified him. What? They go, what should we do? Peter says, repent. Acknowledge your sin. Turn to him as Savior. And it says that day, 2,000. 2,000 people were added to the church. That's how it happens. So my question to you, whether you're in-house or online, have you called upon the Lord? Are you trusting in Jesus as your Savior? If you're not, you're trusting yourself, you're lost. That's what the Bible says, not me. The book of Acts is going to talk about how people who are lost from all different walks of life, all different generations, all different uh, people groups, realize they're lost and realize that Jesus is their only hope. And they put their faith and trust in Jesus. And they find forgiveness and they find freedom that only Jesus can give. So that's where we're going. But that's what the church is all about. Would you stand with me? Let's close our time together. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for this new study and this new journey that we're going to go on in the book of Acts. And for the clarity that your word brings us. We've messed things up, Father. We, we, we're getting things wrong. We think it's about us and Jesus when it's us being part of a new community. We think that we go to church in a building, but the church has no walls. We are the church. We are little temples. Help us to just, uh, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit who dwells within us, who have called upon the Lord, help us to truly understand what is the step or two that we need to take so that we can be the church that you've called us to be, so that we could be the temple that you called us to be. Father, help us maybe to see that no space is sacred or, or secular, that wherever we go with the Spirit of God, 
that is sacred space. And it should, it should be borne out by our behavior. Father, whatever lesson, I pray that you'd work in each and every one of our hearts so that we can be better followers of Jesus Christ. And so that when your church leaves this place, we will be the church in this community, along with all the other believers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.